Thanks so much to Gillian for praying and reading. Uh, good morning to you all. My name's Rick. I'm one of the elders here in Carmony. Uh, and I'm going to be thinking with you uh, about this reading from John chapter 12, this, this kind of scene and series of events that took place and that we now know was Palm Sunday that really kicked off the whole um, of the events of Holy Week. A, a newspaper report in October 2020 suggested that Jurgen Klopp was the greatest Liverpool manager in a generation. It was the crest of a wave, and things were so promising. But another report in the same newspaper less than six months later suggested that Klopp's job was under threat. Now, that's a pretty dramatic turnaround, even for Liverpool standards, but it's hardly surprising that a crowd of fans can often be fickle. Isn't that right, Michael? Um, I think back to youth weekend, though, that I was on when I was about 16 years, years of age. And I remember being really challenged about my life on the last session in particular of that weekend, the Sunday morning. And I, I remember being determined to start living my life in a way that would better honor Jesus. I even wrote down a list of all my sins, and I nailed them to a little cross at the front of the room, and I said to myself that morning that things would be different now. I was sure of it. My faith looked promising. Within two hours of getting home that evening, I was yelling at my parents because I didn't want to do the dishes. Sometimes we can be fickle too. And then I remember attending a conference for Christian leaders around a decade ago. And I was captivated by the message shared from the front by an incredibly dynamic speaker. With energy and passion, he encouraged, he encouraged us to grasp the full mountain range of the story of God. It goes to great heights, he told us, because the gospel is an epic story. And through his presentation, that speaker helped me to become much more aware of God's grace, and I left more in awe of Jesus' love that day. That speaker, however, to the best of my knowledge, is no longer following Jesus. And in some ways, we shouldn't be that surprised because Christian leaders can be fickle too. And very sadly, even those who speak loudly about Jesus aren't immune from walking away from Him. Promise can turn sour. And the events in John 12 that Gillian read for us, they, they look so promising for Jesus and his, his followers. A crowd had gathered. They were waving palm branches in celebration. They were laying robes on the ro road before him. They were singing his name in adulation. They were describing him as king. It looks like an incredible scene of worship. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus was being healed as king. On the outside, it seems like such a positive story, yet we know it's just an early scene in a story full of dramatic twists and turns that are yet to come. As the crowds go from healing Jesus as king one weekend to demanding his death the next weekend. The sudden change from the cheering praise of Palm Sunday to the shouts of crucify him on Good Friday is yet another reminder of how a crowd can be changeable and fickle. I think we need to be wary of taking our lead from a crowd, from the demands of a crowd. 
We need to be careful who we listen to, particularly in these days, who we rely on for truth, and who we allow to influence us. Thankfully, in the midst of constant news cycles and social media bombardment, we can trust completely in the reliability of God's Word and His promises. In the uncertainties of tomorrow, we can rest in that today. But this morning, I want to suggest that in the same way that Jesus was making a journey into Jerusalem, He was also inviting people to make a journey in their own lives too. And we're going to focus on two aspects of that journey this morning. Firstly, I want to think about how Jesus wants to make His people, um, or, or wants His people to make the journey from being fans who cheer on the sidelines whenever things are going well, to faithful followers who stay the course no matter what's happening on the pitch. Look with me to verse 17. It says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Word had spread about the dramatic events of Lazarus being raised from the dead, and a crowd of people had now started following Jesus. The the crowd gathered for what seems to be something like a patriotic parade. Palm branches were a nationalistic symbol, and people were wa- people waving in them in the air suggested that they looked like they looked to Jesus more as something like a political or a national savior, but perhaps not so much a spiritual one. Many Jews of the day expected the Messiah to be an earthly king. And so when the crowds heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they shouted, Hosanna, which means save now. They saw Jesus as their new king, come to bring salvation from political and societal oppression. He raised the dead. So there was little doubt that he could also restore the kingdom of David and free them from Roman rule. So the people are anticipating a Messiah who will rescue them politically by overthrowing the Roman Empire and reestablishing Israel's power in the world. But God had something totally different in mind. He is always up to something so much bigger than we can grasp or imagine. 500 years Prior to Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem, the prophet Zechariah had already prophesied that this event would take place precisely in this fashion, adding to 300, over 300 other Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. But while the people assumed that Jesus could deliver them politically, they weren't really interested in His way guiding their steps or His words shaping their lives. They only wanted Jesus for what He could do for them, not in them. You know, there's a danger. There's a danger whenever we form a God in our image and turn Jesus into someone who votes like us or thinks like us and speaks like us. 2,000 years later, it remains true that the only ideology worth seeking is the one of Christ and His kingdom. Don't replace the kingdom of God for any cultural substitute. And so I want you to consider this morning, if you're a fan of Jesus or a follower of Jesus, in many ways, Jesus was about to disappoint these people because he didn't do what they wanted him or expected him to do. 
So how do you respond when you feel disappointed by Jesus? You know, we may appreciate Jesus, admire Jesus, or admit to believing in Jesus, but we are also, but are we also willing to keep following Him in doubt, disappointment, and darkness? Even when prayers haven't been answered the way we would like them to be? Even when He calls us to remove some of our sinful attitudes or desires? Even when our faith brings with it criticism or hostility? Will we continue following then? Fickle fans flee, but faithful followers stand firm. And in some ways, verse 16 should reassure us because in it we discover that at first his disciples did not understand all this. That's what John writes here. At first, his disciples didn't understand. And that might encourage us whenever there are things about God's kingdom that we don't understand. For me, there are many. It seems that slowness to understand doesn't invalidate us, though, as disciples. Sometimes God's plans don't make sense in the moment, but while His ways are beyond our finite understanding, He can certainly be trusted. But make no mistake about it. Jesus knew what He was riding into. He came to suffer and die for the sins of the world. By triumphing over the grave, the risen King of glory has established a kingdom that's not of this world, but one that has conquered this world. Jesus knows full well what you are riding into in your life. He knows the hurt, the loneliness, the weariness, the betrayal, the anger, the doubt, the despair, the exhaustion, and the constant struggle. He knows all the madness. Yet your king lives and will triumph over every last bit of it. Think about that as you abide in him this week. It's the first journey we can go on, the journey from being fickle fans to faithful followers. But secondly, I want to explore how Jesus leads his disciples on a journey from status to sacrifice, from status to sacrifice. Because in one sense, Jesus resembled a ruler returning to a city, loyal subjects lining his path with coats. In the ancient world, a leader rode in on a horse to declare war. This would have been a, a familiar picture in some ways. However, coming on a donkey is the crucial part of this story because a donkey signified something different. While a leader riding on horseback to declare war would have been familiar, someone riding in, into town on a donkey signified peace. This was a sign that this was a spiritual kingdom, not a military one. And just like Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, in the same way he can enter our lives not forcefully, but gently. Jesus didn't come with violence, hostility, or bloodshed, but in humility and service, giving his life as a ransom for many. He came in peace, not war. He didn't take life, but he gave up his life 
to save the world. And the initial scene in this passage is one of Jesus receiving adulation and applause. And it looks like victory was his. But Jesus knew that the only way to true and lasting victory was the way, was the way of sacrifice and death. The only way to lasting victory was the way of sacrifice and death. Because while the scenes of John 12 look glamorous, as Jesus receives the acclamation, more akin to a royal king or a modern-day celebrity, the chapters that follow show us that with Jesus, it wasn't about clinging on to his status, but being prepared to sacrifice it for us. Because what happens in the very next chapter to Jesus being proclaimed like this? If you have your Bible open, flick over to the next page to have a look for yourself. The next chapter, the next page, the next scene starts by Jesus washing the feet of his followers. Can, can you imagine that in today's celebrity-driven world? A pop star arrives to a concert of adoring fans, and rather than checking that all their requirements are in place, the first thing they do is clean the changing room. The way of Jesus isn't so much about status, but sacrifice. Not to be served, but serve. Paul in Philippians 2 puts it far better than I could. When he writes, Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Growth in the kingdom of God is not about us gaining more status, but being prepared to embrace sacrifice and accept the cost in following Jesus. Christian maturity isn't about climbing a ladder, but bowing the knee. And in the words of the Hillsong Chorus, at the cross I bow my knee, where your blood was shed for me, there's no greater love than this. This Easter, know that there is no greater love than this. There's no greater love than Jesus, no better sacrifice than his. And you know, living a life of worship isn't just about singing or shouting Jesus' name out loud. It's also being prepared to sacrifice our desires and serve in obscurity. There is always a cost. There's a story told about an advertisement that explorer Ernest Shackleton ran in a newspaper in 1914 to try to recruit a crew for his dangerous endurance expedition. It's rumored to have gone something like this. Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful, no financial reward, honor and recognition in event of success. Rather than outlining all the benefits, Shackleton's approach was to go for brutal honesty. 
emphasizing the dangers and the difficulties would prepare his followers for what was to come. He was making the cost clear at the outset. It certainly didn't sound like the most attractive advertisement, and yet apparently it still attracted 5,000 applicants. In reading the Gospels, it sometimes might seem that Jesus was attempting to put people off following him. His approach of telling rich men to sell all their possessions, encouraging people to forsake their family members, those are hardly an advertiser's dream. And then throw in the comparison to following Jesus being like a brutal form of execution. It hardly seems like the best way to build an audience of followers. Yet these are the things that Jesus chose to emphasize to those who made inquiries about entering his kingdom. Why then is it that I'm so tempted to emphasize all the benefits, yet downplay some of the challenges when I talk with others about following Jesus? Here's what you'll gain. Rather than emphasizing and accepting the cost. A youth leader recently told me about her experience of sharing the gospel with a group of teenagers on a summer camp. These girls have been moved by the presentation, and while some responded to Jesus that evening, others acknowledged that they weren't yet willing to count the cost. And as I listened to her say that, it struck me that her presentation of the gospel must have included some sort of challenge to sacrifice something, or there wouldn't have been a group who had rejected it. And I wonder if at times we fail to acknowledge or appreciate ourselves the true cost of following Jesus in case it might damage the response. But if we fail to share the cost, then it will be much more difficult to embrace the challenges that come with following Jesus. Is comfort one of the biggest obstacles to faith? It's been the year of church in our living rooms and sermons in our slippers. And part of that has been so good in order to keep connection as a church. But if we assume that following Jesus, and that's just one example of many, if we assume that following Jesus is essentially about our comfort, then our faith will slowly erode. Avoiding trouble, downplaying cost, and overemphasizing comfort will cause us to duck out at the first sign of discomfort. But rather, resilient discipleship confronts consumerism. It challenges comfort and embraces cost. Jackie Pullinger, who knew all about this, wrote this. The gospel always brings life to the receiver and death to the giver. If the gospel brought death to Jesus Christ, then why would we think that in preaching the gospel it would be any less for us? And so as we think and if we consider, as we've considered John 12 this morning and this picture, this Palm Sunday victorious, jubilant picture and scene of worship, in one sense, this picture of Jesus being worshipped by an adoring crowd should stir our hearts to join that chorus and worship his name. It should excite us, give us an appetite for being together with God's people again. This isn't how it's meant to be. And in our lives too, it should stir us to be worshippers of the King. We should want to and be stirred in our hearts to worship Jesus and heal him as King. But on the other hand, the events that follow, that we'll be reminded about this week, 
should also remind us that hailing Jesus as king must also lead to bowing to him as Lord. So let's move from being fans to followers. And let's not seek any status for ourselves, but rather embrace sacrifice and service, for that is the way of Jesus Christ. To finish today, I simply wanted to read some lyrics of an older worship song that I think encapsulates so much of what we've been thinking about this morning. And I know music is beautiful and it's great to sing worship songs, but I wondered if simply allowing the words of this song to wash over you in your homes this morning in an attitude of prayer might allow the truth and the wonder of it all to resurface in our hearts afresh. So as the band come back and prepare to lead us in worship, and as you prepare yourself as well to celebrate the wonder of the cross and the beauty of Jesus once again this Easter, maybe also as you get ready to sit in these seats and gather again to worship together, worship God together as a church, why don't we reflect on these truths together this morning? From heaven you came, help us, babe. Entered our world, your glory veiled. Not to be served, but to serve. And give your life that we might live. Come see his hands and his feet. The scars that speak of sacrifice. The hands that flung stars into space. The cruel nails surrendered. This is our God, the servant king. And he calls us now to follow him, to give our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. So let us learn how to serve and in our lives enthrone him. Each other's needs to prefer, for it is Christ we're serving. This is our God, the servant king. And he calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to the servant king. Jesus, we heal you as king. And we wanna worship you today simply for who you are. But we also want to bow the knee before you and to acknowledge you as Lord and to serve you with our lives, no matter the cost. Help us to see you and worship you and heal you as King. Help us also to bow the knee and to serve you as Lord. Amen.